0: me to Luke the fourth chapter Luke chapter 4 Luke chapter 4 and um, and we'll look at some verses here praise God now of course the last Sunday morning last Sunday night we had brother Jerry and sister Marilyn O'Dell with us and my how we enjoyed that so we're going to be continuing a study that we started to uh, you know week before last on Sunday, and if you weren't here for that, that's fine. The, the messages are available if you want to access them uh, on the internet. Um, but the the background of pretty much what we've been talking about together on Sunday morning, Sunday night uh, this year, um, is is this is this thing the Lord spoke into our, in our hearts that um, we give him. We need to give him the place that he deserves in our lives. We need to give him the place that he deserves in our lives. And um, this started with our Christmas sermon where, you know, they didn't have a place for Jesus um, to be born. They put him in a manger, in a a, basically a a barn. um, and, And he was born there. And that was the place that they gave him. Was he worthy or deserving of a place better than that? You better know he was. Um, I've heard it said this way. If Jesus had left his throne in heaven and came to the earth to sit on a throne to simply rule the earth, that would have been a tremendous demotion for him. In other words, if, if he'd have come with all the wealth and all the glory that this earth could muster in the natural sense um, and, re- and receive that from us, he would have still took a huge step down from the throne that he occupied there in the spiritual heavens over all, amen. So it wasn't just that he deserved a high place among us, right? But the complete opposite of that is he was given a place amongst the cattle and the farm implements and and the feeds and all these other things, right, that you keep there. And of course the Lord began to speak to us from that, and this was the word that he really dropped in my heart: that his people are wanting him to do things in their lives that we have not given him place to do. We have not given him the place to do. I, can I just come in there with you for a minute? Hey Amen. I, I got my heart is so full this morning that it sometimes it just helps me just to talk to you for a minute. Then we'll kind of get into the structured notes and teaching that we have prepared. In our Wednesday evening services, and by the way, if you're not able to be here on Wednesday night, please, we're not trying to sell you anything. Those, those sermons are free. Um, we'll get you a CD. They're on the internet, video, audio. I consider it to be some of the most important things the Lord has ever taught me about faith. And if you understand the importance of faith, you will have some understanding of how important then truth concerning faith in our lives really is. Now, this is a sermon that I foresee myself preaching in the future on a on a Wednesday night, but I just it's just come up in my spirit a time or two this morning. And so I want to begin um, with that thought. Just stay where you are in, in Luke 4. There was a time in the earthly ministry of Jesus where he found himself inside a home. But Brother Jerry mentioned this last week. And, and, and this was when it was so crowded that they couldn't—some uh, men brought—four men brought a friend of theirs who was paralyzed uh, to that meeting for Jesus to heal him. And, of course, when they got there, the, the house was packed— and it was you know, overflowing out into the perimeter of that home, and so they couldn't get to any of the doors, they couldn't get to the window, and so they crawled up on the roof, and they removed some of the, one translation says the tiles, so it wasn't like they took a sawzall or you know, cut through shingles and all that, they didn't have that kind of roof in their day. Um, but still, it was, it was an effort to, to remove that. And then they lowered their friend down through the ceiling, if you will, in front of Jesus. Now, if you've read that story, or like I said, if you were here last week, Brother Jerry uh, mentioned it in, in his uh, sermon uh, to us then. If you read what the Bible says leading up to that moment. The Bible says that that house was filled with Pharisees, religious leaders. And if you're a student of the Gospels, you know that the Pharisees were, for the most part, Jesus' enemy. They were trying everywhere in the world to you know, put him in his place, so to speak, the place that they thought he belonged to, which was outcast. But here's what the Bible says, that not only was Jesus in the house, not only were the Pharisees, the religious leaders in the house, but the Bible says that the power of God was present to heal them. The power of God was present to heal them. To heal who? To heal the Pharisees. Religious people get sick too. Religious people have arthritis and whatever else, itis, you know. In other words, religious people need to be healed. When I say religious people, I'm talking about people who are more about legalism and rules and that sort of thing, tend to judge people too harshly, and we've all been, you know, maybe at the wrong end of a religious uh, attitude in the past, you can know, add wrong, whatever. But notice that the heart of our heavenly Father and the heart of Jesus was for these men, even though they were not for Jesus. They were they were against him. They were opposed to him, even though. But, but Jesus was not against them or opposed to them. He he was actually trying to love them and, and do good to them and and minister to them in hopes that the goodness of God would would bring their hearts to a place of repentance. Now, here's what I want you to see for a moment, and this, man, it jumped out at me uh, a week or so ago just so powerfully. Jesus was there. The power of God present to heal people was there. And people who needed to be healed were also there. To me, that sounds like there should have been a whole lot of healing taking place. But the only person that we see leaving that meeting that day healed was a guy who showed up late because it took four men carrying him and then they wouldn't let him in. And so they had to climb up on the roof and let him down. And the Bible says when Jesus saw their faith. Can you imagine in that room and in that house and it being that crowded and how stuffy and how hot it probably was in that room. And then all of a sudden that, that roof tile was pulled back. And you know what happens when that vent is opened, it creates a draft and all of a sudden I believe a cool breeze was pulled through the windows and doors and and up through that roof like that, but it was more than just fresh air that was drawn into that room, it was the fresh air of faith that was drawn into that room. In other words, let me say it another way, I believe that Jesus breathed the fresh air of faith, amen, he was happy to see finally some faith. Now please, this is, and we're going to see this again in the, in the text that we're about to read, but I just want to just set something up for you this morning before we look into this, all right? Again, Jesus was there. The Son of the living God in human form was present. He was in the house. And he brought with him the very power of God necessary to heal people who were sick of no matter what kind of sickness, no matter what kind of disease, simple stuff, complicated stuff, chronic illness, terminal illness. Power of God was there on the scene. And then people who needed to be healed were there. You would think, what else do we need? Why? You know, people should be getting healed left and right, but nobody was getting healed. It's because there was no faith. It was because all kinds of people there in need and the power of God present to meet their needs was present, was there. But there was no connection being made. It would be like electricity is in the socket... And you've got a power tool that needs electricity, and you could put that plug of that power tool right next to, right beside that electrical outlet, but if there's no connection made, it doesn't matter how close it gets to the power, if there's no connection made, the power is not going to transfer from the socket into the tool. So in the same way, the power to bring healing was right there, and the people who needed the healing were right there, but no connection. Until those men would not be denied, Pull that, you know, listen, I don't, I don't know if you've ever tried to handle an adult man that is disabled. Especially one that's paralyzed or partially paralyzed. They can't help you. Do you understand? Like if, if, um, if I was in the floor and needed some help up, well, you know, Matt could come grab hold of me. And I would be able to push with my arms. I'd be able to help him with my legs, right? In other words, I would be able to assist him in that. But because this man was paralyzed, he couldn't help him. And so, you know, however much he weighed, that was... But it's, here's, the, here's the thing. It's not just his weight. It's, you know, we don't come with handles. You know, they started putting handles on mattresses, right? Right. Not because the mattress was too heavy to lift, but you can't, there's nowhere to grab it. You know, and, and you know, you, you grab his leg, his leg just bends, you know. It's, so, you know, the effort that it took to just get him out of the house, get him on something they could carry him on. Again, it, it, it's faith in action. Faith without works is dead. And so, so, you know these men had faith, and I, I personally believe that there was faith in the man who was paralyzed. Right? In other words, I believe he had faith, or else he would have said, "Man, you, you drag me down this road, and drop me, and break my neck, and kill me." What you know? In other words, have you ever noticed people who are? who are sick, especially really, really sick, they, they tend to be very reserved, very cautious. You know, it's like, no, no, man, just leave me here. And I believe that man was like, somebody please take me, right? So now notice this man had faith that Jesus could heal him, but Jesus wasn't in his house The power of God present to heal him was not there. Now, we live in a different day and age because of Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection. The Holy Spirit's power is always present to heal. Can I announce to you this morning without making you upset or offended at me that the same power that was present to heal in that room that day with Jesus is present to heal in this room right here today, this morning for us. I believe that man had faith. When he says he saw their faith, it wasn't just born of four, it wasn't just he saw the four men who carried him, I believe it was five men, the paralyzed man and the four on each corner of that stretcher. I believe that even if they wanted to do something different, again, think about it now. They're not just going to drag that man up on top of a roof. Imagine for a moment, imagine for a moment that you are so sick that you're paralyzed and now, you know, four of your buddies are trying to haul you up on the top of a house. You, I mean, you know what I'm saying? I don't think they're doing that without your consent, if not without your encouragement. Just think about it for a moment, right? They're like, dude, we can't get in this house. There's no way. I bet the guy on the bed was laying there going, through the roof, is there a chimney? Just get me to him, right? And I believe he was the one that was was consenting to all of this. But it was faith that made the connection. Now, for those of you who've been following along on Wednesday night, Jesus asked them a very important question. First of all, when Jesus saw their faith, He said to that man who was paralyzed anybody remember what he said to him your sins be forgiven you what rarely if ever did we see Jesus do that I mean you had the woman caught in the act of adultery he told her to go and sin no more I'm not condemning you, go and sin no more. But man, this dude, Jesus, just says, <laughs> Your sins be forgiven you. And I'm sure that guy was like, Man, I appreciate that, but I'd just like to walk out of here if I could, you know? I mean. But of course, we know that forgiveness of sins is greater than any physical thing we could ever receive from God. And of course, this is when there was a reverse flow of air. When the Pharisees sucked all the oxygen out of the room. <laughs> who does this man think he is? Only God can forgive sins. And then Jesus says what to them? Which is, listen very carefully to this word. Those of you who follow along on Wednesday night, you're going to get a smile out of this. He said, which is easier, I'm about to have a preaching fit, I'm holding it, I'm restraining it, right? Which is easier, to say your sins are forgiven, or to say to a man who is completely paralyzed, get up off your bed and carry it out of here? Not which is harder, which is easier. Because they're both easy to God. Amen. <laughs> See, what we've been talking about on Wednesday nights is, is there anything too hard for the Lord? He didn't say which is harder, which is easier. Well, notice that in their day, they thought it was easier to heal than it was to forgive. In our day, we think it's easier to receive forgiveness from God than it is to receive healing from God. Am we right about it? Come on, now. I got to, uh, uh, Amen. <laughs> but again, not which is harder, but which is easier. And Jesus says, so that all of you who are refusing to give me place to do what I am here to do in your life, so that you will know I, do, I have been given by my Father the authority on earth to forgive sins, son. It's your last day to be paralyzed on planet earth. Get your bed and make, let this man out of here. I mean, he could probably jump through the roof at this point, right, you know. Make way for this man to carry his bed home with him, amen, amen. In Luke, the fourth chapter, we see where Jesus was sent forth in the power of the Holy Spirit, verse one. Luke four and one. Then Jesus, being filled with the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan and was led by the Spirit into the wilderness. We know that in the wilderness, he was tempted. And that he overcame those temptations by using the Word of God. And although I'm not here to teach and expound on that this morning, rest assured that there's much for us to learn from these temptations. The Bible says all that's in the world, the the lust of the eyes, um, the lust of the flesh, and the pride of life. Three distinct categories, and we see that those are um, the three areas, key areas in which Jesus was tempted. But remember, he was tested Tempted and tried for you and me as our substitute. Amen. Now, after he was tempted, we pick it up in verse 14. Then Jesus returned. Returned from where? From being tempted. What happened before he was tempted He was baptized in the Holy Spirit, filled with power. So now we see, then Jesus returned in the power of the Spirit to Galilee, and the news of him went out through all the surrounding region, and he taught in their synagogues, being glorified by all. Now, a couple of weeks ago, we went to Matthew's account of this, And we see that, of course, the Holy Spirit's doing something different with Luke's gospel. Normally, because Luke was a physician, you see more details about healings and miracles in Luke's gospel than you do other uh, gospels. But the Holy Spirit's doing something entirely different now. So he doesn't go into the full explanation of what took place in Galilee here through um, through Luke. It's because he's wanting us to make a comparison. He's wanting us to compare what happened in Galilee and why to what happened, or we could even say what did not happen in Nazareth and why what matthew's gospel amplifies for us is that jesus was healing and ministering to all kinds of people with all kinds of sickness all kinds of disease every every kind of sickness every kind of ailment Dem- demons were being cast out and we see that this was happening throughout the entire region that would be considered Galilee and we see that Jesus had established a custom again he did nothing unless his father told him to do it so this was how his father told him to do it his and, and what did he do his custom was he went into the local synagogue think local church he went into the local synagogue he took the scroll from Isaiah 61 he read the prophecy about the Messiah and what the Messiah would be anointed to do among God's people when he got here. He rolled up the scroll, he handed it back to the attendant, and then he sat down in a special chair designated for the Messiah to sit in when he arrived. And we see that when the people gave him that place, this is key. And I'll show it to you because that verse 15 that's on the screen, he taught in their synagogue being glorified by all. All right, being glorified by all. I said this in the beginning of our study, that if you you try to do a word search on giving God the place he deserves in your life, you're not gonna find that really captured in those exact words In any verse, but you will find the heart of it, the the truth of it, the reality of it in many different verses, in many different Bible words. For instance, the word honor, the word worthy, the word esteem, and now this word glorified. All of these Bible words that we find throughout both the Old Testament and the New Testament, are all words that are speaking to us giving first of all we're talking about you know God, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, giving our Creator Father the place in our lives he deserves. But but our Creator Father also, and this was something else we were talking about in Ephesians class this morning, honor your father and your mother. So for a child to honor father and mother means for that child to give his mom and dad the place they deserve. In his life, the oversight, the 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 authority to submit to that. In other words, so these words honor again. They is speaking of giving place both to God. Um, the Bible says to honor your elders, not just your mom and dad. Honor those who have the rule over you. In other words, give them place in your life. And of course, what we're ultimately seeing is you can't. Uh, give God the place that he deserves in your life if you don't give the people God has put in your life to help you to be over you if you don't give them their place in your life. In other words, I can't honor God and at the same time dishonor my mom and dad. doesn't work that way. Me honoring my mom and dad is, is, is an extension of, is a practical, uh, uh, effective way for me to honor God. I honor God by honoring them because he's over them and he's over me. You say, but Pastor Mark, you're, you're a, how old am I, 52 years old now. There's no expiration on honoring your father and your mother. You don't outgrow that, Matter of fact, we've decided as, as a group of men, and if you weren't there, then you know come next week and you can vote. But we just decided as a group of men that even after our parents leave this earth, transition over into heaven, that we're still responsible for honoring them. Because God said that if you honor your father and your mother, simply said, if you'll give them the place that God intends for them to have, that they deserve, that God intends for them to have in your life. He said He'd do two things for you. He would increase the quantity of your life and the quality of it. He would give you a longer life, but also a longer life filled with more and more good things, that it may be well with you, He said, and that your life may be long. All right? So I maybe spent too much time on that or maybe not enough, but amen, praise God. So. We don't, we don't see in a sentence or in a Bible verse, you know, the actual phrase, giving God the place he deserves, but we see it throughout the Old Testament and the New Testament with, with many words, honor being one among them. So now we have this word, and he taught in their synagogues, being glorified by all. Being glorified by all. Um, Christy, if you will, just hold that one slide. I was... Talking about, I want to read into this a little deeper. Verse 16, if you've got that, you can put it up for me. Thank you. So he came to Nazareth where he had been brought up. So he's, look at me now, so he's not in Galilee anymore. Okay? I mean, he has experienced, and others have experienced, the absolute. Glory of God, kingdom of God, power of God amongst men. In one place they said, we have never seen anything like this. It was, it was glory unspeakable, joy unspeakable and full of glory. Or, did I say that right? Amen. You understand what I mean. And so now he leaves Galilee and he came to Nazareth. where he had been brought up. And as his custom was, he went into the synagogue on the Sabbath day and stood up to read. And it was just exactly what he's been doing in all of these other synagogues in Galilee. And he was handed the book of the prophet Isaiah. And when he'd opened the book, he found the place where it was written, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim Liberty to the captives, recovery of sight to the blind, set at liberty those who were oppressed, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. Then he closed the book, gave it back to the attendant, and sat down, exactly what he had done in all these other synagogues. And the eyes of all who were in the synagogue were fixed on him. And he began to say to them, Today this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. We talked about what that proclamation meant. That word fulfilled means the full supply to make all of this a reality was present that day. You'd have to be a a, a Jewish man or woman who served God and loved God to fully understand what Jesus just said to them. But basically it was this, what the prophets have told you was going to happen who the prophets told you was going to come and what was going to take place when the Messiah arrived is here right now among you today. It would be like you not knowing it was December 25th and you waking up and it was Christmas. They knew that Christmas was coming, this day of great joy and great celebration and and great blessing. They had no idea when that day was coming. It's kind of like we're looking for a day, right? We're looking for the day that he comes a second time, right? And, And we've been told, don't let it catch you like a thief in the night. In other words, we need to be watching, we need to be expecting. And so for the one who was watching and expecting, when Jesus announced what you've longed for, what you've prayed for, what you've been looking for for all these generations is right here in front of you. Oh, what a glorious announcement. So all bore witness, verse 22, all bore witness to him and marveled at the gracious words which proceeded out of his mouth. And they said, is this not Joseph's son? Let me stop right there because What we're going to see. Remember I told you a moment ago that there's a reason why the Holy Spirit didn't lead Luke to go into all of these, um, you know, details of what happened in Galilee. And I believe that was left out because he's wanting us to see. All right, so here's, here's three words for you, okay? Reception. Response results. We see a completely different reception in Nazareth than we saw in Galilee. Now, we'll split this hair, it may be tonight. It's not that he wasn't received in Galilee. I mean, or it, it, he was received both places. In other words, it's not that he was received in Galilee and was not received in Nazareth. He was received in Nazareth, but you have to look carefully to see how he was received in these two places. And it was a completely different reception. How they received him in Galilee certainly affected how they responded to him in Galilee and how they received him in Nazareth directly affected how they responded to him in Nazareth. But of course what it really comes down to is the results. The results in Galilee were miracles like had never been seen before in the amount that had never been seen before on a scale and scope that had never been seen before on planet Earth. In Nazareth, now we have to go again this time from Luke's Gospel to Mark's Gospel. The Bible says that he could do no mighty work, not that he wouldn't do, he couldn't do any mighty work among them, except for he laid his hands on a few sick people and they were healed. Okay. So again, reception, response, results. I'm being silly when I say this, tongue in cheek when I say this, but I'm feeling led to say it because I'm, I want you to see the the point. I believe the Holy Spirits want you to see the point. Was it not the same Jesus in Galilee that was in Nazareth? Was it somehow that he wanted the people in Galilee to be blessed and healed but really had no interest in the people in Nazareth being blessed and healed? I believe, if anything, you could make a case the opposite of that because the people in Nazareth were the people he grew up with. These were people that he knew personally. These were people that, that you know, I mean, again... If there was anybody he wanted to help, it would be the folks that that he lived with, were his neighbors. Amen. Was it somehow that he was just tired, wasn't on top of his game, you know, just didn't quite have it when he came to Nazareth? No, no, and no, of course not. Absolutely not. So in this equation, Jesus is the constant. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever, all at the same time. What was different? Reception, response, results. How he was received, how they responded to him, and the results that they ultimately Experience. When I say experience, I'm talking about the results that he was ultimately able to produce. And, of course, all this goes back to the place that they gave him. All right, let's go to that one slide because I want st- to make sure I plant this. All right, so Christy, every time you hit the, the space bar, it'll add a line. Okay, so to glorify. All right, let's stop there for a minute. By definition now, and I tried, remember that word, uh, that, that lengthy definition I gave you a couple of weeks ago, and I was like, what in the world? All those big words like mayonnaise. Well, amen. Here, here is it broken down in simple-to-understand sentences. When the people in Galilee received him, responded to him, and he was able to produce, produce results among them. The Bible says that he was glorified by all. Now, listen to me. I, I understand that that doesn't mean every person in Galilee was just over the moon about Jesus. I'm sure there were, if I know people, there were some sticks in the mud. Come on now. Not that any of us are, but we all know there's going to be sticks in the mud if there's If there's more than a handful of people, one of them's gonna be a stick in the mud sometimes, okay? So the general consensus was he's glorified by all. Now if we compare that to how he was received in Nazareth, the general consensus was all all bore witness of him, there's the A-L-L word, right? All bore witness of him and the general consensus was among that group in Nazareth, is this not Joseph's son? Do you see the difference in that? In other words, they they were a completely different uh, reception, completely different response, completely different results. Now, in the same way that there would, I believe, have to be some outliers in Galilee glorified by all, okay, the opposite of that, I believe, we see is true in Nazareth, that all bore witness and said, is this not Joseph's son? But he was able to heal some people, which means there were some people who said, I do believe you're the Messiah, Jesus. I I am going to give you that place. And I believe that those were the ones that he was able to heal. All right. So practically, effectively, in other words, don't don't get nervous, I'm not going to do it, okay? Just hear me, though, I'm wanting you to think. If I was to call you forward right now, I'm not going to do it, Kim, but I'll just use you. I said, Kim McCain, would you please come to the front of this building and glorify God for all of us? So that these people can see what it looks like for a man to glorify God. Well, I don't know what Kim would do. I got a good idea because I know our brother. He'd probably do what I would do if I was asked to do the same thing. I would come up in front of you and kind of feel a little awkward about it, but I would start giving God thanks. I would start giving God praise. And I would start worshiping God before you because that would be how I would think or understand, you know, giving glory to God or glorifying God, what that would be, what that would look like. In other words, if we're going to do this thing called glorifying God, then. What is it that we're going to do? Now, don't misunderstand me. Praise, thanksgiving, worship is certainly a part of us giving glory to God, but there's something much more to it than that. And in reality, I think even more practical and effective than that. So what did the people, and I'll finish here, what did the people in Galilee do when they glorified Jesus. Number one, they recognized and received him as the anointed one sent from heaven. They recognized and received him as the anointed one sent from heaven. Okay, number two, they treated him with great respect. If you remember, again, that long definition, and we'll look at it again tonight, but that long definition, um, it, it talked about recognition, the consequential meaning, remember that big word? Anyway, um, and then it, uh, there's commas and in individual words. So in that, in their glorifying Jesus, Jesus being glorified by all, part of what that word glorified means is that he was honored, and honored means to be treated with great respect. So, number one, they recognized and received him as the anointed one from heaven. Number two, they treated him with great respect. Number three, they expressed warm approval, admiration, and gratitude for him. I like that right there. Warm approval. Warm approval. There's a difference between approval and warm approval, right? People can can give you approval who are only tolerating you. Warm approval speaks of something far better than that, right? They expressed to Jesus warm approval, admiration, and gratitude for him. Number four. They deemed him worthy of their money, effort, and time. So, number three, expressing warm approval, admiration, and gratitude for him—that's that part of that definition from the transliteration of the Greek word that includes the word praise. That's when it says they praised him. That's what they were doing. They were expressing warm approval, admiration, and gratitude for him. It also means to glorify him was that they invested. Uh, To invest with dignity. And that means they deemed him worthy of their money, effort, and time. Can I tell you what we're doing here this morning? We're getting a really, I think for the first time since we started this study, we're getting a really practical and effective definition of what giving God place in our life really looks like. Amen. And number five, they properly valued him. They properly valued him. Your values, your values are the things that you have decided are important. Amen. That's why they're your values. Your values may not be the same values as a person sitting across the aisle from you in, in this same building. In other words, there may be things that are important to you, that are a priority to you, that are high up on your to-do list, your agenda list, that are not even on somebody else's list. Obviously, uh, it's coming to church and, and assembling together with God's people is something you value because you've made it a priority. You're, you're here this morning. There's a whole lot of folks on planet Earth, not just a part of this church, but a part of other churches, right? That coming to church is important to them, but not as important as it was to you. It's just not something that, that they place a high value on. It's, it's important, but let's not get carried away kind of attitude, right? Come on, singers and musicians, I, I need to finish. All right, praise God. This, this is what the people in Galilee did. Tonight we're going to go through each one of these, and I'm going to show you what the people in Nazareth did. Okay? Let me just say it this way. They did not recognize and receive him as the anointed one sent from heaven. Instead, they recognized and received him as Joseph's son. They treated him with the same respect they would treat anybody else who was born in Nazareth. Are you seeing this? Mark's gospel said they were offended at him. They didn't value him, they were offended at him. One more time, reception, response, (laughs) results. Completely different reception, completely different response, completely different results. And here's the thing, if you have ears to hear, okay, it's just as true for you and me today as it was for them. How we receive him, how we respond to him directly impacts what he is able to do. Not what he desires to do, what he is able to do In our lives again my people are wanting me to do things in their lives that they have not given me place to do amen stand with me this morning praise God thank you Jesus thank you Jesus fathers we stand before you this morning we ask that you examine our hearts sir we ask, Father, that the Holy Spirit who dwells in us would begin to reveal to us certain attitudes that we have towards you, certain opinions that, that we have of you that do not align with what is true about you. Father, help us all In this room, have a better understanding of your worth, a better understanding of the real value of our salvation, the real value of the baptism of the Holy Spirit, the real value of the Word of God given to us, the the true value of our ability to pray, the true value of the opportunity that has been given to every born-again person to be filled with the Spirit and pray in an unknown tongue, Father, the true worth of these things, the true value of these things, Father, that we would not value temporal things more than we value eternal things, that we would not value fleshly things Higher than we value spiritual things, Father. That we would not value, Lord, uh, the things of the flesh more than we value the things of the Spirit. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Holy Spirit. Father, that, that, that you would help us understand and then help us give you the place that you deserve among us. Father, you you can't have a place in this church that you don't have in the individual families and individual members of those families, Lord, that make up this church, that are this church. Father, what we're seeing Happen in some people's lives. We want to see happen in everybody's lives. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Jesus. I've got about two paragraphs on this. I'm, I'm just going to give you just a couple of sentences of it. We wouldn't expect to have a better marriage than we have right now without giving more of ourselves to that marriage. We wouldn't expect to be more effective parents than we are right now without committing more time and more effort into the daily lives of our children. We're just kidding ourselves. Come on now, we're just kidding ourselves if we think that we can keep doing what we've always done, the same agenda, the same priorities, the same allotment of our time, and things just magically get better. We all understand that back from our school days, if you're making C's and D's, and you wanna make B's and C's or A's and B's, you're gonna have to put more skin in the game. You're gonna have to do more than what you've been doing to bring those grades up. Father wanted me to ask you this morning if you'd be willing if you'd be willing to do a little more towards your relationship with him. He wanted me to ask you if you'd just give him a little more of your time. Give him a little greater place in your life and family. If you'd maybe make it a higher priority to assemble together with your family of faith more than you are right now. That if you'd put a little more effort into what he's trying to do for you what He's trying to do in you, what He's trying to do with and through you. Would you consider maybe coming on Sunday night? Would you, would you maybe consider coming on Wednesday night? Would, would, you, would you be willing to come to an Ephesians class or a discipleship class or, or a ladies class? not trying to offend anybody, but you listen to me. The devil has deceived a lot of people into thinking that they have given God a place in their life that they have really not given him. I hear people tell me all the time, oh, he's my everything, Pastor Mark, he's my everything. Let me tell you something. I guess on one level he is my everything, but I've been trying for 47 years to make him my everything, and I'm still not there. would you be willing to give him a little more of your time? Another hour or two a week, could you squeeze him in? So many people are gonna get to heaven one day and they're gonna be so upset when they realize what they could have had, what they could have enjoyed, what they could have experienced, what they could have done, and the people they could have reached. had they only been willing to give and do just a little more? You say, oh, that, that ain't how heaven's gonna be. Read your Bible. The Bible says there's gonna be a lot of tears And that God will dry the tears. This idea that there's no tears in heaven is wrong. I said it before and I'll say it again and I'll say it again sometime in the future, but I'll say it again today. The last thing in the world I want is for somebody to come to me and say, Pastor Mark, I sat in Heritage for 35 years and you never told me. You never told me. We love to quote all these scriptures about all things. We sang about it this morning, right? All things work together. No, no, it works together for those who love him, for those who've given him a place in their lives. Amen. Let's sing. Let's sing. Praise God.